But God was there. He never let them go. From the mouths of babes. What a blessing. I don't know about you guys sitting back there, but in the front row, I was able to hear the kids singing all the songs, at least the ones they knew. How encouraging it is to hear those little voices singing along with the words that they know. I invite you to join me, Daniel chapter 4. If you're not there already, Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it's a simple song that our children have just sung, and yet it is packed with theological truth. Even in the fiery furnace, God never let them go. Heavenly Father, that's encouraging for us. We may not be cast into a fiery furnace, but we do deal with trials. We do have good days and bad days, and, and in all of them, this we know, that God never lets us go. In fact, you promise us in your word, not only do you never let us go, but you are active in everything that we go through. You are working for our good and for your glory. You promise us peace. You promise us hope. You promise never to let us go. Heavenly Father, even as we come to this passage here in Daniel this morning, or this evening, as we see Nebuchadnezzar, a king in a foreign land, praising God of the universe. May we see your greatness. May we join him in praising you. May you be honored in all that is said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. Good stories often start something along this line. Have I ever told you about the time I almost died? Have I ever told you about this? Have I ever told you about that? It's kind of funny, because in reality, we're giving away the end of the story, right, without, before we even tell it. As we come to Daniel 4, verses 1 to 3, that's kind of exactly what we see. See, all of Daniel 4 is a proclamation. As Nebuchadnezzar tells the story of what God has done in his life. How God has worked, and yet he starts, before he gets into the story, he starts here in these three verses with praise. It's almost as if he's telling you, have, you, have I ever told you the story when God showed me how great that he was? As we work our way through this passage, it's a very short passage, obviously, just three verses. We'll see the speaker, the audience, the reason, and then the proclamation. First thing we see in verse 1 is the speaker. It's Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the king. At this point, Nebuchadnezzar is old. He's near the end of his reign. And as I mentioned, the narrative here begins at the end of the story. It's as if he's saying, let, let me tell you what God did, the great things that he has done. He has shown me that he is a great and a mighty God. He's starting at the end of the story. He gives us the conclusion. This is what I have seen. This is what I have experienced. And then he'll come back and he'll 
starting in verse 4, tell us the story of what happened. Verses uh, in, in, in Daniel 4, verse 4 to 33. The narrative here begins at the end of the story. And what is it? What is it that brings Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the most powerful nation in the world, what is it that could bring Nebuchadnezzar to make such an astonishing statement? If you were to read this and you were to take out line one, Nebuchadnezzar the king, and you're just to read the rest of it, it would seem like it's something that maybe Paul wrote, or maybe Peter, or maybe Moses, some, some David maybe, someone who, who knew God, who, who, who believed in him. To all peoples, nations, languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Amen! And perhaps the most surprising part of this entire Small, little proclamation of praise is line one, Nebuchadnezzar the king. This is not Paul. This is not Peter. It's not Moses or Abraham or David or Solomon. It is Nebuchadnezzar. It's the events of Daniel 4 combined with all the great things that God has done during his life that cause him to bring this proclamation. This whole chapter is actually bracketed by two proclamations of praise. Here in Daniel 4, 1 to 3, he starts with praise. He starts at the end of the story, if you will. And then he ends in verses 34 to 37 with another proclamation of praise. And we'll get to that in a few weeks. And I could have just tapped these three verses on to, to the big picture, what we'll see next week, Lord willing, as we work our way through verses 34 to 37, as we see what it is that God has done. I could have tapped the, tack, just tacked it on to that. I thought it was good for us to pause, though, and to see this. This is the speaker. It is Nebuchadnezzar. Next, we see the audience, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Obviously, it's a bit of an overstatement. It's to his kingdom. But in reality, his kingdom is much of the known world at the time. Most of the peoples and the nations and the languages that dwell in all the earth are under his rule. And note the formal nature of these verses. It almost reminds us, not just in the language that is used, but in the formatting of, of one of Paul's epistles. At the beginning, as he greets those he's writing to, to all people's nations, languages dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Remarkably, what we find here in Daniel 4 is a royal edict sent from Nebuchadnezzar to his kingdom explaining the great works of Israel's God. Again, just pause and think about that. Daniel 4 is an edict sent from Nebuchadnezzar to his entire kingdom praising Israel's God. 
I want you all, all peoples, all nations, all languages, everyone who dwells on all of the earth, I want you to know of their great God and what He has done. Again, this is remarkable. Even in exile, even in exile, God's name will be praised. If his people refuse to praise him, God will work through a pagan king. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. The rocks themselves would cry out if they need to. God will be praised. In fact, what do we see all throughout Israel's exile? They're in exile because they failed to proclaim the truths of God. They failed to obey. They failed to humble themselves. They failed to worship God rightly. And all throughout their exile, even God gets the glory that he deserves. We see it in Esther. In Nehemiah. We see it here in Daniel. Even in exile. God is glorified. Peace be multiplied to you. Again, it's just a general introduction to an edict or to a letter. The speaker is Nebuchadnezzar. The audience is his kingdom. The reason. What is the reason for writing this? Right? That's the important thing. When you get an edict from the king, well, what, what, what is this? What is he saying? He's the law of the land. What is it that we need to do? What does he say here? I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. I thought it good. Your translation might say, I am pleased, or it is my pleasure to declare. There is, there is joy in this. It's not, I, I, I thought it good as, you know, I was laying in bed last night, and I thought this might be a good thing to do, so I'll do it. You know, I, I better write a thank you, so I'll do it. This is, I find joy in doing this. I want to do this. I am rejoicing to declare to you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Again, that statement there, the Most High God. It's not necessarily a confession of faith. It's not even a confession of mon monotheism. He could just be saying he is the highest of all gods. But even that is a remarkable statement when you think about who is saying it. It is a conquering king. And he is confessing about a people that he has conquered that their God is greater than his God's. We talked about it in Daniel 1 as we were introducing the, the background, what is going on as Daniel and his friends are ripped from their homeland, never to go back, their family and their friends. It's all gone. They're given foreign names, taught foreign customs. And we talked about how in that day the idea is my God is greater than your God. I have conquered you. My God has shown himself to be greater. And yet here we find a conquering king praising 
the God of a conquered people. He is the most high God. He has proven himself. He has shown himself to be greater than any of the gods that I know or serve. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked. The works of God demand praise and proclamation by man. You don't have to go through something big or traumatic to praise God. Nebuchadnezzar went through something pretty traumatic. And he's seen some pretty big things that God had done during his reign. But you don't have to go through something like that to praise God. You can praise God for the little things. God is just as faithful and just as great in little things as he is in big things. And he deserves just as much praise. And we need that constant reminder. That's why it's good for us to pause on a couple Wednesday nights and to spend some time to share testimonies. What has God done? How is God working? And you don't need to do it just in formal testimony times. Tell your friends, what is God doing? Let your conversations go in that direction. Ask others, what is God doing in you? I want to hear. Let me tell you what he has done for me. If a pagan king can find pleasure in praising God, how much more so should his people? Praise ye the Lord. If you're like me, I, I, I like to know the backstory to hymns. I have a couple books in my office. Um, Betty let me borrow one that she had that tells stories from, from the, uh, of a lot of the hymns that we sing. Uh, I inherited one from my grandmother as well. It's often as I'm, I'm putting together our uh, songs for the week, our order of service, I'll look up the song that we're singing. What, what is the backstory? And so often we know the, the great stories that shape our hymns, right? We, often we have all heard the story of, of behind, It is well with my soul. As the ship sinks and his daughters all die, and he sits there and he writes as he passes over that area, It is well with my soul. That is powerful, is it not? That moves us. How can he say that? Because he believes in a great, mighty God. But there are some great hymns that we sing, sing that spring from just little things that God does as well. They're not all these majestic, massive stories like that. Look at the song, Jesus Paid It All. The person who wrote it, she, she wrote it after a single sentence in her pastor's prayer before a sermon. He prayed, and as he's praying, before he gets to the preaching, there's a single sentence in that prayer that stood out to her. And she took that sentence and she wrote the song, Jesus paid it all. That's a testimony worth sharing. Just as I am. It's the author's own conversion story. The song, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. 
It's a fascinating story. Fanny Crosby was in desperate need of five dollars. And she prayed, and that very day, someone came and handed her five dollars, and they said, I can't explain why I'm doing this, except God led me to do it. All the way my Savior leads me. It's a testimony of how God gave Fanny Crosby five dollars. What a testimony. Great is thy faithfulness. The hymn writer was moved by Jeremiah's words in Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. He's moved in his own Bible study. And he sits down and he writes the hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. I thought it good to declare to you the signs and wonders. We shouldn't just share the big things that God does. Praise him for the little things. Some of our most beloved hymns come out of the little things that God does. Share those testimonies. The speaker is Nebuchadnezzar. The audience is his kingdom. The reason is because God has done some great things for him. And the proclamation itself, verse 3. Starts out this way How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. Truly, if you think back on Nebuchadnezzar's life and his reign and everything that God had done during his reign, he saw some great things, did he not? Our kids just sat here and sang of one of the great things that God did during his reign. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered from the fiery furnace. We saw in chapter 3. He witnessed that. He was there. He saw them come out of the fire. He touched them. He smelled them. And there was no evidence. He saw the fourth person walking. He also, in chapter 2, had prayed, had dreamed a dream, and Daniel revealed that dream to him. He interpreted his dream. And he told him, it is my God who allows me to do this. I mean, how remarkable. Daniel doesn't just make up some, this is what it means. He actually tells him, this is what your dream was. And then we have the, the episode that we'll see here in Daniel 4, Lord willing, next week. Where God humbles Nebuchadnezzar and does a mighty work in him. Truly, he has seen God do some great things. He has seen God prove himself to be mighty and he cannot keep it to himself. So he writes this letter to his kingdom. Let me tell you what God has done. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. In Daniel 2, 31 to 49, again, his dream. You may remember the dream as we went through it. There's this statue. The statue is many earthly kingdoms, starting with the head of gold that is Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. And yet in that dream, there's a greater kingdom that comes and smashes these other kingdoms. 
It is a kingdom that grows and goes on forever. It is God's kingdom. And yet in the very next chapter, in an almost rebellious act, Nebuchadnezzar sets up an all-gold statue. Many commentators think that it's molded after the statue in his, modeled after the statue in his dream. That this gold statue that he puts up is almost a, a, a proclamation of, his, of the everlasting aspirations of his kingdom. You say your God says that his kingdom is greater? He says, I'm only a gold head. Look at this gold statue that I have created. And yet now he confesses that truly it is God's kingdom that is everlasting. His kingdom is forever. It is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. You may remember learning in school of the manifest destiny in the 19th century, as the United States was growing and settlers were um, pouring further and for further west, they were pushing the boundaries. And there was a cultural belief that came to be known as manifest destiny. It was the belief that the United States was destined to stretch from sea to sea. God's kingdom is not just from sea to sea, or river to river, or mountain to forest, but from generation to generation. It is a kingdom that spans all of time. It is a dominion that knows no bounds. His sovereign rule reaches from beginning to ending, and even on beyond that. His dominion is from generation generation. These three verses is an introduction to a proclamation and they are packed with truth and they come from the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar. As we come to the end of this passage, application. We agree with Nebuchadnezzar, do we not? Our God is great. We have seen and we have tasted and we agree with him. So what should we do about it? Number one, worship the Lord. Worship him in private. Public praise begins with private worship. If you don't worship God privately, how can you proclaim his greatness before the congregation? How can you tell your friends what God is doing if you're not paying attention to what he's doing? If you're not reading his word, if you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not active serving the body and telling others about what God has done, how can you proclaim worship in private so that you can proclaim in public? Secondly, proclaim. As God is working, proclaim that truth. Let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you how he is working. Let me tell you how, how I am struggling in this moment, and yet even as I am struggling, let me tell you the verse that I'm clinging to. Let me tell you what God has reminded me. Let me tell you what hope I have. Worship the Lord in, in, in private. Proclaim the truth in public. And then listen to others. 
God is not just at work in you. And you need to hear what he's doing in others. Listen. Ask. Be encouraged. See God's work that is all around you. And take pleasure in declaring the signs and hearing the signs that your great God is doing. He is a great God. He's a mighty God. He's a God whose kingdom and sovereignty is from generation to generation. And he's a God who deserves our worship and our praise. We're going to close the service this morning with the song, Rejoice, the Lord is King.